Good morning. Welcome back, Gary. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Brian introduced you to that new word, selefao, uh, to handle, to touch, and then the uh, metaphorical, which is uh, the tokens of familiarity. We're still at the token stage, you and me. So, uh, you know, fist bump, elbow bump. I'm still probably maybe just a little contagious. Don't want you to, to get <clears throat> what what I have, whatever it is. I'm, a, I'm one week better, though, than I was last Sunday, and I think I'm about one week be, behind what I'll be next Sunday. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, it, it'll be two weeks Tuesday, and I really am getting, <clears throat> I'm getting a lot better. Just don't want you to uh, find out. This morning, we continue in our series of the parables of Jesus Simple stories, daring truths. This is a, a daring truth indeed in the what we commonly call the parable of the prodigal son. And <clears throat> this is a powerful, powerful parable. So if you've turned to your uh, Gospel of Luke, I'm going to begin reading at chapter 15 of Luke, verse 11 through the, verse 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there... He squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is a very important parable in the parables of Jesus. It captures the heart and soul of his ministry. Emphasis on the kingdom, the love of God. This parable changed my life, continues to change my life. It depicts so powerfully, so graphically, so clearly to me the love that God has for me, the love that God requires of me. I love this parable, for at times I'm the prodigal son. I need the Father's love that's greater than my sin. At other times, I hate this parable. For I'm the older brother. I need the Father's love that's greater than your sin. Both sons show me the love of God. A love that we must receive as prodigals, a love that we must rejoice over and show to others as elder brothers. Both need to be changed by the love of the Father. We need to be changed by the love of the Father. It's the Father that's the true prodigal of this parable. We use the adjective prodigal to describe reckless, extravagant, lavish, even foolish spending and spending and spending and spending. 
in all of its manifestations, reckless, irresponsible, foolish, unjustifiable. And yet, it's the Father's love that is exceedingly prodigal. And that's what I want us to see. Because we see here in this parable that where there's God's love, there's no greater love. What will we do with love more prodigal than the prodigal? Here we see love, prodigious, prodigal. It expands our minds. It expands our hearts to fathom the love of God. There's none greater, none greater than the love of the Father for a dishonorable son. We see this in verses 20 through 24 in particular but verse 20, I want you to look at it for just a moment. While still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Have you ever shut off your love from someone? Of course you have. You have. You've withdrawn it. You've cut it short. You've diminished it. You've taken it back. You've shrunk it. You've restricted it. You've confined it. And why would you do that? Why would you do that to a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, even a relative, even a spouse, someone at church, someone sitting here today? Why would you do that? Because you're human. You're all too human. And I'll tell you why else. Because they hurt you. They wronged you. They broke a rule. They violated a precious value, something that's important. Something to the way we ought to live. We must love, live. We should live. They despised it. They didn't care about it. They didn't value it. And so you withdrew. You took it back. And all of your dealings with those people are a little stunted. a little cooler. You see them in a different way. That's the way we're supposed to see this son, this prodigal son. What you and I have suffered is minuscule compared to what this younger son did to his father. Let me just quickly depict 
One, he rejected his father and his heritage, his spiritual heritage. He cashed in his inheritance, bringing difficulty, shame upon his own family. Not only the father, but the eldest son, his older brother. He went to a far country, which means he abandoned his people. He moved to a Gentile place, to a Gentile culture. He lavishly, foolishly, stupidly, I mean, find the worst possible way in which to describe what this son did with a high hand, with arrogance. He treated his family and his people and his upbringing and his background this way. And when it was gone, he hired himself out to a swine herder. Swine, pigs are unclean. In later Judaism, you can find all kinds of written curses and imprecations. It was interesting, even earlier than Jesus, when we were in Israel, we went to a number of archaeological sites currently being dug in all of the strata, which show different occupying peoples. It's the Jewish stratum that is devoid of pig bones. It's the most definitive, most concrete example of when Jewish people occupied a site or exclusively occupied a site. No pig bones. Everywhere else, Canaanite, Philistine, other occupiers, pig bones. This boy jeopardized his family because it wasn't until death, customarily, conventionally, respectfully, did a child demand his inheritance because it's like taking a portion of that operation that feeds and cares for everyone who's dependent upon that family. And these aren't just little units. Even the slaves are involved. And then to just walk away from everything. He wouldn't have even kept the Sabbath observance. Second thing, he's driven home by misfortune. Yes, he has an awakening. Do you know what his awakening is? I could be doing better as a slave. That's his awakening. I'm at rock bottom. I have nowhere to turn. No one will help me. I'm ready to eat the pods that the pigs eat, that I feed to them. I could be doing better realizing that I am unworthy to be my father's son. I could be doing better if I could earn my way into the household by becoming a slave. That's his plan. The third point that you must understand, he wants to earn his way back. And not as a son, but as a slave. He doesn't deserve to be his son. He has done things so unworthy 
that he cannot even imagine being a son any longer. He has forfeited his rights, his qualifications. He'll never see that status again. But maybe, maybe he could be a slave in the household of his father because the slaves have it better than him. He wants to earn a place as a slave in the household of his father. And he's banking on his father. It's his last hope. And so he's coming. Maybe fearful of rejection, and his father sees him at a distance. His father hasn't heard him say anything. His father doesn't know his disposition. His father doesn't know whether he's repentant or not. His father sees him and begins running. And in a very unconventional, undignified way, he pulls up his robes and runs to his son. And he embraces him and kisses him before his father can, his son can even say a word to his father. And when he starts into his contrition, his father doesn't even speak to him. His father interrupts him, as it were, and says, bring him a robe, ring him, kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. He's home. And in that sweeping action, he restores him. He returns to him his status, the signet ring, which is worthy or equivalent to him being given the authority to transact business, killing the fattened calf worth 10, 10 goats, robing him, much like Joseph was robed by his father in the Old Testament. He is fully instated. He has no sandals. Not even slaves wear sandals. And he says, put sandals on him. This isn't right. It's wrong. Do you see? It's wrong. It's not right. No probation? No working your way up? No stipulations? No restrictions? No qualifications? This is not right. One commentator wrote, it would be nearer real life if the father had killed not the fattened calf, but the son himself. But isn't that the kind of love that we're looking for? Isn't that the kind of love we're looking for from God and from one another? If we have doubts about how prodigal is the Father's love, and how unworthy is the prodigal, the younger son, then we need to see the father's love with the eyes of the older brother 
because we'll see through his eyes that there's love no greater than the father's love for a disgruntled son. We see this in verses 25 through 32. Verse 31 says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. In verse 29, though, you need to note these words. The older brother remained faithful, dutifully and honorably serving, and never disobeying his father. Just think about that. Just let that sink in a bit. He's always been there. At least as he sees it, if we take his testimony as even 80% accurate, he's the guy that the dad never needs to worry about. He's the guy that's always reputable, always caring, always dutiful always supporting his dad, always doing the things that need to be done without question. Even when his brother leaves, he picks up the pieces. In fact, he's now the sole heir of the estate. If anything should happen to the father, it's all his. Think about that. The younger son has taken his inheritance and he's gone. Now, everything that the father has belongs to the younger son. So, do we really need to ask why he's angry? He's furious. And why is he so upset? He tells you himself. He rehearses how he has served the father so faithfully. Yet this son, this younger brat who took his inheritance, who squandered it, even on loose women, flipped off his family, his spiritual heritage, his dad, everything we hold dear. And you robe him, ring him, shoe him, kill the fattened calf. You haven't even given me a stinking goat to share with my friends. You see why he's angry? The older brother is as angry as the younger brother is unworthy. Write these two statements down. The youngest brother is shocked. He cannot earn the father's love. Write this down. The elder brother is shocked he has not earned the father's love. He thinks that because he's earned it, the younger brother doesn't deserve it. He's unworthy. Even the younger son said that. I am unworthy to be your son. 
But the older brother, because he has earned it, or so he thinks, because he is worthy, cannot share the joy of the Father in loving. Loving not only him, but loving the younger brother. We know this already. It's the way we live in the kingdom of earth. And yet how desperate, if we try to live this way in the kingdom of God, under the kingdom of God, as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, how contrary if we love according to this earthly kingdom and not according to the kingdom of God. You know, I don't always speak directly, real directly, like I'm going to speak this morning. But it's the Father who turns this economy upside down, this upside down kingdom. And so I ask you this question directly. Are you a Christian struggling with unworthiness this morning? Are you lacking joy in your life because you're trying to earn your way into the good graces, the acceptance, the approval of God? Are you longing to be robed and ringed and shooed and celebrated and yet you call yourself a Christian? And yet you read your Bible and you go to church, but you don't know the joy of the Father. There's something wrong. You haven't gotten it. Perhaps it's because you're still, in a sense, trying to be worthy of it. And you'll never be worthy of it. You'll never be worthy of it. You'll never be worthy of it. That's the nature of this love. As soon as you think you've earned it, then you start to restrict it and control it and measure it only to those who are so worthy. Worthy is you. And now I ask a second question. By the way, that ought to make you happy. That ought to make you celebrate. That ought to make you smile. You ought to start a little, feel a little joy, you know, irresistible joy coming up in your gut. Because instead of trying to work off all your sins and fix your life and be pure and be holy, you're just not going to be able to do it. It's not out of that that you become holy. By the way, this is a bonus. It's out of loving others that you become holy. Love does no wrong. Love never sins. Love is the way to righteousness and holiness. And if you're not loving as the Father... You're not going to experience real transformation, nor the nature of love. You'll continue to peddle this earthly junk that we call love. But I ask you, are you a Christian struggling with anger? Are you bent and upset, irritated? frustrated by others' entitlements, shortcuts. Somehow it seems they get to fly as close to the sun as they want without any harm. And yet you and me were the elder brothers, faithfully serving, 
And we resent those who come running home to the Father. We resent those who haven't served as long as we have, haven't been as obedient as we have. And there's no joy in our lives. We're constantly waiting for other people to earn their way into what we ourselves are earning and have earned. And it's all wrong. It's all contrary and convoluting the very love of God. If I'm wrong, then you wrestle with this parable. You wrestle with the ministry of Jesus Christ. You wrestle with his emphasis on love God and love neighbor. You wrestle with his teaching time and time again. What does he call his older son? He says, you're my companion. You're my co-owner. Why are you acting like you have to earn your way or you have earned your way? I don't think he could be any more estranged. Alienation and estrangement is when you crave something you already have. How disconnected. What the father was saying is, you could have killed the goat anytime you wanted. All I have is yours. He couldn't know the father's joy, which is the acid test of the presence of God and his love in our lives. That's why the church needs to be more joyful. What would happen in this world if the church really began to love like Jesus' ministry and life and teaching advocated, seen so graphically, plainly as in this parable? You know, there are three parables that Jesus utters right in a row. The first is about a sheep that's lost. And when the sheep is found, the shepherd goes out, returns him, and there's rejoicing. And then about a woman who misplaces a coin, she searches high and low, and when the coin is found, there's rejoicing. And here is about a son, a son we could do without, a son that once he's gone, no one misses. But when he returns, the father, what? Rejoices. Everyone's rejoicing, all except one, the older brother. And what's his hang-up? Legalism, rules, limits. He doesn't even know this love. What's more important, sheep, coins, or people? Are we the foolish prodigal? If you are, God loves you. Quit trying to clean up your act. Come to him. Come home. Come home. Quit trying to do all that stuff. Come to the Father. That's where it all begins. His love beckons you. Are we the dutiful elder brother? Embittered. We've lived the Christian life so dutifully. We resent it when others are shown such Largest, such generous love. It seems prodigal, wasteful, wrong, foolish, and irresponsible. 
I want you to know I find that I am both, sometimes even then the same day. But when this love is planted in your life, it grows. Yeah, we're human. We get caught off guard. Sometimes we fall back on stupid thinking, stupid upbringing, because we're moving from that far country into the holy land of God's presence, and we bring a bunch of junk and stupid ideas with us. Let God's love purify your thinking. Erect a theology of the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news. I want to encourage you this week. I don't think 10 times is too much to ask. And you know I don't do this often. I want you at the end of this week to be able to identify in your own mind because you're the only one with the standards, nobody else. I want you in your own mind to identify 10 occasions when you stepped out in faith and you demonstrated God's love toward others in a way that you normally wouldn't. That will exercise faith. That will exercise the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You'll be fulfilling Scripture. You'll be walking closely with the Father. You'll learn a lot about yourself. You may fail. You may realize that you're unwise. You're not tutored or schooled in love because you don't love enough. But if you'll start loving, you'll be excited to see what God can do in other people, in the world around you, in your home, at work, wherever you are. It can be very small. It can be known only to you. Love those who don't deserve it. Love those who haven't earned it. Let me ask you this. Are you really condoning sin, wrong, when you love somebody else? Are you? I don't think so. I don't think you're condoning it at all. I think you're just loving that person because you know God loves them just as he loves you and loves me. And who knows where loving that person might draw someone. I got to tell you, I don't know that I would be standing here. I mean, I, if you ask for my testimony, I would tell you it was the love of a church shown to me when I didn't deserve it. When I entered that church expecting to be told your kind isn't wanted here. Clean up your act first. Get your life together Show us the signs of repentance. We've got a big list here. When I walked in with blue jeans, moccasins, holes in the knees of my jeans, a white t-shirt not tucked in, beard, long beard, long hair, earring. And that was when people were not casual about dressing for church. And I walked into that foyer or lobby that entryway, and a little old lady. I don't know how old she is. I don't know if I'd call her old today, but she was a little old lady with white hair, 
fragile. She was just a little frail, and she came up and greeted me, and that was my first introduction. She didn't even wink at me. She didn't, she didn't, you know, look like she smelled something bad or had touched something unclean. She loved on me. She treated me like I mattered. And that was the way the church received me. And it rocked my world. Because I'd, I'd known the church, at least through my filter, as a church that isn't loving. And I understood that. God has his rules. But they were all enforcing it. And that's why I wouldn't go to church. But I walked into this church and I found such love. And I tell you, I think I'm here because of that woman, because of that church. When God's love got a hold of me, it's the heartbeat. It's the blood coursing through my veins, our veins, our hearts in Christ. But there's also this. You see, the beginning and the reason for this parable is these parables, these three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. These three parables are Jesus' justification for why he receives and eats with sinners and tax gatherers. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And the next, and the next. You see, the setting of these parables, these parables speak to the indignation of the religious leaders. These parables contrast Jesus with the religious leaders. They contrast the acceptance of Jesus with the suspicion and scorn of the religious leaders. And why does Jesus do this? The story's illustrated. The answer is this. That's the way my heavenly father is. And that's the way I am too. And that's the way his kingdom is. You and I need to be companions and co-workers and know joy. 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 When you know God's love like that, <laughs> you don't, no one else can be the measuring stick of getting ahead with God. Are you trying to earn or do you think you've earned what you've got? Then you'll always be wrestling with where others are. But if you want that sweet satisfaction of knowing all that is mine is yours, you've always been with me. You're my co-worker. You're my companion in this. You want a, you want a goat? Go get a goat. You're my child. We're in this together. Joy. Joy, joy, joy. Joy, joy, joy. Think about this this week, will you? Undertake those ten things. I don't know what they'll be but you'll find it exciting to walk by faith. This last uh, Wednesday, I, I did something irregular because I was invited to go to a school as a leader in the community. Definitions, you know. 
They differ from person to person. But I went. It was a school where my grandkids happened to go. So that was a, a bonus. But they showed a leadership video. Um, Covey Franklin produced video on leadership. It wasn't full of answers. It was just teasing. You know, what is a leader? And, uh, and yet they gave this little parable, as it were. It was a true story. A young girl... I, I think she was in her last year of high school. She played baseball, and it was her last game of the season, and it was the last inning of the last game of her senior year, and her last at bat, and she hit a home run. She had never done that before. She hit a home run in her last game, in the last inning of her last year of baseball. And she was so excited. I mean, you can imagine. And she tore around the first base. She went so fast, though, in such elation, she, she forgot to tag the bag. So she wanted to correct that. I mean, all of a sudden, her dream is becoming a nightmare. And so she turns around, does a quick 180, but in the process, she blows out her knee. And she's writhing in pain, unable to move right there in the, in the base path. And her team appeals to the umpire, can we, can we go help her? No, you can't help her. It's against the rules. So the opposing team, the enemy team, asked the umpire, can we help her? Yeah, there's no rule against that. And so they pick her up and see that she completes the bases carrying them, carrying her between them, and she crosses the finish line, home plate. You know, the remarkable thing is by doing that, they lost the game. That home run beat them. There are some things that are more important than rules. When we make God's love the desire of our heart, the heartbeat of our lives, we'll learn that. We'll know how to make those judgments. And we'll know joy because we'll see beautiful things in God's love all around us. Will you stand with me? This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your loving Lord and Savior, you don't know his love, don't put this day off. I hope today is your day of realization. You come home. But maybe this morning, you, like I, have sided a little bit more with the older brother because that's become more typical of our lives. If you'd like to pray with somebody, really make, a point, make this a turning point in our lives of decision, we invite you to come. Whatever is on your heart to intercede for yourself or others, we invite you to come. Uh, let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. We, we are so grateful for such prodigal love, such a prodigal God. And we thank you. Help us, Father, to understand how prodigious, how extravagant, lavish, and even joyous is your love. We praise and thank you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, God bless you.